This is Chapter 18 of Following the Equator. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Following the Equator by Mark Twain. Chapter 18. The Gum Trees. Unsociable Trees. Gorse and Broom. A Universal Defect. An Adventurer. Wanted two hundred pounds. Got twenty million pounds. A Vast Land Scheme. The Smash-Up. The Corpse Got Up and Danced. A Unique Business by One Man. Buying the Kangaroo Skin. The Approach to Adelaide. Everything Comes to Him Who Waits. A Healthy Religious Atmosphere. What is the Matter with the Spectre? It is easier to stay out than get out. Puddenhead Wilson's New Calendar. The train was now exploring a beautiful hill country, and went twisting in and out through lovely little green valleys. There were several varieties of gum-trees, among them many giants. Some of them were bodied and barked like the sycamore. Some were of fantastic aspect, and reminded one of the quaint apple-trees in Japanese pictures. And there was one peculiarly beautiful tree whose name and breed I did not know, the foliage seemed to consist of big bunches of pine-spines, the lower half of each bunch a rich brown or old gold color, the upper half a most vivid and strenuous and shouting green. The effect was altogether bewitching. The tree was apparently rare. I should say that the first and last samples of it seen by us were not more than half an hour apart. There was another tree of striking aspect, a kind of pine, we were told. Its foliage was as fine as hair, apparently, and its mass sphered itself above the naked straight stem like an explosion of misty smoke. It was not a sociable sort. It did not gather in groups or couples, but each individual stood far away from its nearest neighbor. It scattered itself in this spacious and exclusive fashion about the slopes of swelling grassy great knolls, and stood in the full flood of the wonderful sunshine and as far as you could see the tree itself, you could also see the ink-black blot of its shadow on the shining green carpet at its feet. On some part of this railway journey we saw gorse and broom, importations from England, and a gentleman who came into our compartment on a visit tried to tell me which was which, but as he didn't know he had difficulty. He said he was ashamed of his ignorance, but that he had never been confronted with the question before during the fifty years and more that he had spent in Australia, and so he had never happened to get interested in the matter. But there was no need to be ashamed. The most of us have his defect. We take a natural interest in novelties, but it is against nature to take an interest in familiar things. The gorse and the broom were a fine accent in the landscape. Here and there they burst out in sudden conflagrations of vivid yellow against a background of sober or somber color, with a so startling effect as to make a body catch his breath with a happy surprise of it. And then there was the wattle, a native bush or tree, an inspiring cloud of sumptuous yellow bloom. It is a favorite with the Australians, and has a fine fragrance, a quality usually wanting in Australian blossoms. The gentleman who enriched me with the poverty of his information about the gorse and the broom told me that he came out from England a youth of twenty, and entered the province of South Australia with thirty-six shillings in his pocket, an adventurer without trade, profession, or friends, but with a clearly defined purpose in his head. He would stay until he was worth two hundred pounds, then go back home. 
he would allow himself five years for the accumulation of this fortune that was more than fifty years ago said he and here i am yet as he went out at the door he met a friend and turned and introduced him to me and the friend and i had a talk and a smoke i spoke of the previous conversation and said there was something very pathetic about this half-century of exile and that i wished the two hundred pound scheme had succeeded with him oh it did it's not so sad a case he is modest and he left out some of the particulars the lad reached south australia just in time to help discover the burra burra copper mines they turned out seven hundred thousand pounds in the first three years up to now they have yielded twenty million pounds he has had his share before that boy had been in the country two years he could have gone home and bought a village he could go now and buy a city i think no there is nothing very pathetic about his case he and his copper arrived at just a handy time to save south australia it had got mashed pretty flat under the collapse of a land boom a while before there it is again picturesque history australia's specialty in eighteen twenty nine south australia hadn't a white man in it in eighteen thirty six the british parliament erected it still a solitude into a province and gave it a governor and other governmental machinery speculators took hold now and inaugurated a vast land scheme and invited immigration encouraging it with lurid promises of sudden wealth it was well worked in london and bishops statesmen and all sorts of people made a rush for the land company's shares immigrants soon began to pour into the region of adelaide and select town lots and farms in the sand and the mangrove swamps by the sea the crowds continued to come prices of land rose high then higher and still higher everybody was prosperous and happy the boom swelled into gigantic proportions a village of sheet-iron huts and clabbered sheds sprang up in the sand and in these wigwams fashion made display richly dressed ladies played on costly pianos london swells in evening dress and patent leather boots were abundant and this fine society drank champagne and in other ways conducted itself in this capital of humble sheds as it had been accustomed to do in the aristocratic quarters of the metropolis of the world the provincial government put up expensive buildings for its own use and a palace with gardens for the use of its governor the governor had a guard and maintained a court roads wharves and hospitals were built all this on credit on paper on wind on inflated and fictitious values on the booms moonshine in fact this went on handsomely during four or five years then all of a sudden came a smash bills for a huge amount drawn by the governor upon the treasury were dishonored land companies credit went up in smoke a panic followed values fell with a rush the frightened immigrants seized their gripsacks and fled to other lands leaving behind them a good imitation of a solitude where lately had been a buzzing and populous hive of men adelaide was indeed almost empty its population had fallen to three thousand during two years or more the death trance continued prospect of revival there was none hope of it ceased then as suddenly as the paralysis had come came the resurrection from it 
those astonishingly rich copper mines were discovered and the corpse got up and danced the wool production began to grow grain raising followed followed so vigorously too that four or five years after the copper discovery this little colony which had had to import its breadstuffs formerly and pay hard prices for them once fifty dollars a barrel for flour had become an exporter of grain the prosperities continued after many years providence desiring to show a special regard for new south wales and exhibit a loving interest in its welfare which should certify to all nations the recognition of that colony's conspicuous righteousness and distinguished well-deserving conferred upon it that treasury of inconceivable riches broken hill and south australia went over the border and took it giving thanks among our passengers was an american with a unique vocation unique is a strong word but i use it justifiably if i did not misconceive what the american told me for i understood him to say that in the world there was not another man engaged in the business which he was following he was buying the kangaroo skin crop buying all of it both the australian crop and the tasmanian and buying it for an american house in new york the prices were not high as there was no competition but the year's aggregate of skins would cost him thirty thousand pounds i had had the idea that the kangaroo was about extinct in tasmania and well thinned out on the continent in america the skins are tanned and made into shoes after the tanning the leather takes a new name which i have forgotten i only remember that the new name does not indicate that the kangaroo furnishes the leather there was a german competition for a while some years ago but that has ceased the germans failed to arrive at the secret of tanning the skin successfully and they withdrew from the business now then i suppose that i have seen a man whose occupation is really entitled to bear that high epithet unique and i suppose that there is not another occupation in the world that is restricted to the hands of a sole person i can think of no instance of it there is more than one pope there is more than one emperor there is even more than one living god walking upon the earth and worshipped in all sincerity by large populations of men i have seen and talked with two of these beings myself in india and i have the autograph of one of them it can come good by and by i reckon if i attach it to a permit approaching adelaide we dismounted from the train as the french say and were driven in an open carriage over the hills and along their slopes to the city. It was an excursion of an hour or two, and the charm of it could not be overstated, I think. The road wound around gaps and gorges, and offered all varieties of scenery and prospect—mountains, crags, country homes, gardens, forests, color, color, color everywhere, and the air fine and fresh, the skies blue and not a shred of cloud to mar the downpour of the brilliant sunshine and finally the mountain gateway opened and the immense plain lay spread out below and stretching away into dim distances on every hand soft and delicate and dainty and beautiful on its near edge reposed the city we descended and entered there was nothing to remind one of the humble capital of huts and sheds of the long vanished day of the land boom no this was a modern city with wide streets compactly built 
with fine homes everywhere, embowered in foliage and flowers, and with imposing masses of public buildings nobly grouped and architecturally beautiful. There was prosperity in the air, for another boom was on. Providence, desiring to show a special regard for the neighboring colony on the west called Western Australia, and exhibit a loving interest in its welfare which should certify to all nations the recognition of that colony's conspicuous righteousness and distinguished well-deserving, had recently conferred upon it that majestic treasury of golden riches, Coolgardy, and now South Australia had gone around the corner and taken it, giving thanks. Everything comes to him who is patient and good and waits. But South Australia deserves much, for apparently she is a hospitable home for every alien who chooses to come, and for his religion, too. She has a population, as per the latest census, of only 320,000-odd, and yet her varieties of religion indicate the presence within her borders of samples of people from pretty nearly every part of the globe you can think of tabulated, these varieties of religion make a remarkable show. One would have to go far to find its match. I copy here this cosmopolitan curiosity, and it comes from the published census. Church of England, 89,271. Roman Catholic, 47,179. Wesleyan, 49,159. Lutheran, 23,328. Presbyterian, 18,206. Congregationalist, 11,882. Bible Christian, 15,762. Primitive Methodist, 11,654. Baptist, 17,547. Christian Brethren, 465. Methodist New Connection, 39. Unitarian, 688. Church of Christ, 3,367. Society of Friends, 100. Salvation Army, 4,356. New Jerusalem Church, 168. Jews, 840. Protestants, undefined, 5,532. Mohammedans, 299. Confucians, etc., 3,884. Other Religions, 1,719. Object, 6,940, not stated, 8,046. Total, 320,431. The item in the above list, Other Religions, includes the following as returned. Agnostics, 50. Atheists, 22. Believers in Christ, 4. Buddhists, 52. Calvinists, 46. Christadelphians, 134. Christians, 308. Christ's Chapel, 9. Christian Israelites, 2. Christian Socialists, 6. Church of God, 6. Cosmopolitans, 3. Deists, 14. Evangelists, 60. Exclusive Brethren, 8. Free Church, 21. Free Methodists, 5. Free Thinkers, 258. Followers of Christ, 8. Gospel Meetings, 11. Greek Church, 44. Infidels, 9. Maronites, 2. Memnonists, 1. Moravians, 139. Mormons, 4. Naturalists, 2. Orthodox, 4. Others, indefinite, 17. Pagans, 20. Pantheists, 3. P. 
Plymouth Brethren, 111, Rationalists, 4, Reformers, 7, Secularists, 12, Seventh-day Adventists, 203, Shaker, 1, Shintoists, 24, Spiritualists, 37, Theosophists, 9, Town, City, Mission, 16, Welsh Church, 27, Huguenot, 2, Hussite, 1, Zoroastrians, 2, Swinglian, 1. About 64 roads to the other world. You see how healthy the religious atmosphere is. Anything can live in it. Agnostics, atheists, freethinkers, infidels, Mormons, pagans, indefinites, they are all there. And all the big sects of the world can do more than merely live in it. They can spread, flourish, prosper, all except the spiritualists and the theosophists. That is the most curious feature of this curious table. What is the matter with the specter? Why do they puff him away? He is a welcome toy everywhere else in the world. End of chapter 18